This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm Corey Wright. And I'm Adam Scalina. And today, Corey, really great episode. We've got Anita Chen. She's a partner at Ernst & Young. She's also running the Entrepreneur of the Year Award for the Pacific region, which is BC. Yeah, no, it's uh, we wanted to have, reach out to Anita. There's the Entrepreneur of the Year Award program they do is a phenomenal program that creates recognition for entrepreneurs of all different facets throughout not just the province, but Canada and then worldwide. But this is the 30th year they've had the program, and it's a tremendous program that opens up doors and channels for entrepreneurs that are probably far harder to understand until you've actually gone through the program. So we wanted to have her on today to talk all about the program, the launch of the nominations, where this program can potentially lead you. An amazing Ernst & Young conference they put on that if you're part of the program, you get the invite. So we're so pleased to have you to come on today talk all about it. And she's just, she's a really good person. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what the other thing is, is like uh, some people out there are thinking, well, how does this tie in? But you know, yeah. we've got a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the program. 100%. It is a good program. We wanted to put it in front of the audience for sure. Yeah. But before we get to our conversation with Anita, Corey, let's talk about the commercial real estate market. What's yeah. happening right now in the market? My understanding just from speaking to people on uh, your team it, it, is that things are picking up. It's crazy. So I think well, I think we talked about this over the, the podcast over the past couple of years. My thoughts were is people were more, demand was starting to pent up. People were more waiting on the sidelines, not necessarily for rates to fall, but just to get some form of stability. And if we go back to last January, when we thought the rates were kind of peaking at 4.25, people were kind of like, you know, they were excited. We saw a lift in activity and then quickly it went from offense to defense. And the reality is if your deal doesn't work because it went up 25 basis points, your deal didn't work before. Right. So people weren't walking away from deals over 25 basis points. They're walking away from deals because it's 25 basis points today. Is it 50 basis points next month? Like, where are we going with this? There was no clear, there's no clear way out of this thing from an interest rate standpoint. Fast forward to we've had five consecutive holds now as of January. Uh, we're still sitting at 5%. But the activity level has skyrocketed since October because now people can get clarity that, hey, I know where I think we're peaking. We're eventually going to go the other direction. If I can make deals work now, they're only going to get better in the future. And newsflash, no other land's been made since the pandemic started and still not getting made in the future that we have record-setting immigration. We have lack of supply that we're dealing with. All these things now that all that pent-up demand is starting to cascade back into the market. And I'm going to be very bullish to say, I think 2024 is going to be a banner year, bigger than a lot of people expect, just because there was never really these fire sales that everyone thought was going to happen. Yes, development land prices came down. Yes, cap rates did go up to reflect the interest rates, but people weren't giving away their buildings. In commercial real estate, Subway pays $25 a foot, whether your building's worth a dollar or a million. It's not tied to the value of that building. So if I'm a land, if I'm a landlord and Subway's paying me 25 bucks 
and my building's worth less today than it was last year, why would I sell it? There's no panic to do it. So we never really saw that fire sale that I think a lot of people were anticipating purely based on that alone. So now you're getting sellers who are now thinking, hey, market's picking up. Maybe I'll sell now. You're getting buyers that say, hey, we have some clarity on rates. Let's get back in the market. In a market that's already constrained for inventory, it's extremely busy now and it's only going to get busier as the year goes on. So geographically, where are you excited about for this year? Uh, I'm still a big proponent on the secondary markets because interest rates still are high. Like Prime is still 7.2. That in order to make deals probably pencil the best they can, all things considered, you're going to need a higher cap rate or a higher yield. And you're going to find those in the Vancouver Island markets, the BC interior markets, the Fraser Valley markets. It's, it's still tough to make numbers work in greater Vancouver, just with where interest rates are and where cap rates are. So I'm still a big component secondary markets. But if I had to buy an asset class, single story retail, trust me, it's the best money you can buy right now. The problem is you got to convince the lenders. And why I say that is lenders, look at appraisals and look at comps, all which are historical data. If I'm on the front lines and I'm sitting there and I get 10 offers, there's no that data doesn't show up anywhere. It becomes a stat in two months when it closes. And chances are it probably closed at a higher price than advertised. So you'll see that trend up. But I'm in real time telling you there was 10 offers on a property. That is data that you can't get unless you're on the front lines. So we're seeing a lot of that activity. I'm not saying we're seeing 10 offers, but the activity has picked up dramatically. And a great example, I was talking to a lender the other day about Nanaimo. The lender goes to me, well, I understand you're very bullish on retail, but what is the vacancy rate of retail in Nanaimo? And I told him, I said, your guess is as good as mine because it's too small of a market that nobody tracks it. But what I can tell you is I drive around, I see no empty spaces and I see no for lease signs. Right. Secondary markets is where to go. Buy retail. Buy retail and secondary markets. Yeah. And uh, what's getting beat up the most right now? <sighs> Development lands is still probably challenging because of debt servicing. But I think the one thing that besides office, office, which is obvious right now that that face is changing and it's going to take time, but I'm confident it will get absorbed. You know, I mean, we're not a head office city here in Vancouver. Things are going to work themselves through the system. But I think industrial seems like it's definitely, it's been on a very good run for almost a decade. You have your largest percentage of owner occupiers versus investors in the small bay industrial stuff that prices are 700 plus a foot that probably were 300 plus a foot six, seven, eight years ago, maybe less. It's hard to make those numbers work. And from a developer standpoint, they're paying extremely high costs to acquire the land. They're paying record-setting construction costs. And they're paying extremely high carrying costs for financing right now. So they can't probably really deliver the product much less. So I think for the first time in a long time, we've heard some industrial projects are kind of getting put on hold, where up until this year, or maybe late last year, people were rushing with industrial products to the market because demand was so high. And it's still good. It's just softening, which is bound to happen. It just may not be the same record-setting year over year industrial had that has had for the past six, seven, eight, nine years. Good enough. All right. Well, a bit of a recap on the market, but let's cut to our conversation with Anita because this is a good overview for somebody who's considering the Ernst & Young program, applying for it. And I, Like I said, I know we got a lot of entrepreneurs totally. and uh, business owners that listen to the program. So enjoy. Enjoy, guys. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. 
Impact Commercial. John, Alan, the team over there are fantastic. They've been, all been on the show. They have, yeah. Friends of the show. Great guys. Wealth of experience. They can help with all your commercial financing needs. Whether it's owner-occupiers, land development funds, commercial investments, or multifamily, these guys got you covered. And they recently obtained their CMHC correspondent lender status. So for all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. That's impactcommercial.ca. Okay, so we're here with Anita Chen. She is a partner at Ernst & Young and in charge of the Entrepreneur of the Year Award. How are you doing, Anita? Good. Nice to be here, Adam and Corey. Yeah, thanks for taking the time today. Can you maybe start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so as you've all heard, my name is Anita. I'm a partner at uh, UI in Vancouver. I've grown up at the firm, grown up in the city, uh, love Vancouver, went to UBC, started my career at our office here, and I have been able to live abroad a few different times with the firm and uh, still back uh, here in, in our lovely city. I At the firm, I really work with our clients and uh, companies around managing their working capital, as well as thinking through how do you generate the max that you can from your processes and being efficient. And recently, because technology and transformation are big topics, I've started to really dabble into the space to see what the future has for us. And uh, the buzzwords like Gen AI and everything are now part of my daily life. And then, of course, well, on the side, I run our Entrepreneur of the Year program for us in the Pacific. So, Adina, we thank you so much for taking the time to join us here. And, and we wanted to sort of dive into that. The program that you guys run there, people may or may not be aware just how big this program is that you have for entrepreneurs, both locally, but also on an international scale. Can you maybe walk our listeners through a little bit? What is the EY Entrepreneur of the Year program that you guys put on annually? Definitely, Corey. So EY Entrepreneur of the Year, or as we like to call it, EOY, is a global program that we run in 60 countries around the world. The easiest way to think about it is that it's kind of like a dragon's den or shark tank. It is the highest award that an entrepreneur can be awarded with because of the standards that we hold people to, the diligence process that goes into it, and the fact that it's global. So you compete on a regional level. For us, that's BC. Then on a national level. And then if you're the winner for the national, you represent Canada to compete globally every year in Monaco. So one thing, too, that I think looking back on the program, there's some pretty big entrepreneurs that have come out of this. And then maybe one that comes to mind in recent years was, uh, was Nick's Women's Wear. Yeah. Um, so Joanna so, Griffith. Yeah. So I'll be honest with you. I had absolutely no idea what Nick's even was a few years ago. And then when I made a comment to my wife, she stared at me like ghost face, like this is Lululemon for women's underwear. How do you not know about this? And then all of a sudden, like anything, once you hear about it, you start seeing it everywhere stores and everything like that. I mean, she's obviously gone on to a tremendous amount. Can you maybe walk us through a little bit about what the whole program is and how someone of that caliber would make their way through the program eventually maybe where they end up with the program? Yeah, for sure. It really starts uh, at in our own backyard. So what happens every year and uh, we're about to launch our nomination for 2024 is that the community comes together and starts to nominate entrepreneurs 
And so for Nix and for Joanna, just like it was for Jeff Cheddar for Whitewater and Carl for Abcellera, they were all nominated uh, from folks in the business community here, just uh, just locally. And for Joanna, obviously, in Toronto. And what happens is they go through multiple screening processes. We have a panel of independent judges that uh, will go through that. And judges are made up of past winners. They're made up of folks that are just very prominent in the community. Like this year, we had the opportunity to welcome Ryan Arrington Foote, the president of Jim Patterson Group, onto our panel. And uh, they assess the businesses. Then uh, are the folks uh, within the businesses have an opportunity to actually meet the panel of judges and pitch their business and their stories so that our judges can understand what they went through, what that entrepreneurial journey is. Really, at the end of the day, our program is very determined to look for entrepreneurs and celebrate entrepreneurs that are committed to doing the right things and to invest in long-term value. So our judging criteria is not always to award folks with the best top line, but it's also who's investing in that bottom line, the triple bottom line, and who's going to be in business and have impact on the community for the next 100 years. So therefore, impact as well as you know how they run the business and the story, the resiliency, all of that becomes a part of the evaluation for our, our program. Can you talk a little bit about the process of um, how how you choose the entrepreneurs? Definitely. So I actually don't take part in any of the the choosing. So we in BC, for example, have an independent panel of seven judges who will then look at the application form of when the the entrepreneur was nominated. We also, as EY, prepare an executive summary and uh, we vet all of the numbers that are submitted from the financial performance and a headcount. Then those um, paired with the pitch and uh, judges Q&A that entrepreneurs have with the judges go into the judges' deliberation of then who comes out on top. And that happens at the regional level, the national level, and as I'm learning right now, the global level, same kind of idea. What's the value of the program? Can you talk a little bit about the value of the program for the entrepreneur? Definitely. My personal belief is that uh, our, our program is designed because, and we've, we've designed this program because we believe and we celebrate entrepreneurship. We truly believe at EY that uh, entrepreneurship is the backbone of the community. And I know that we all go to work every day because we're trying to support, you know, our families and our friends and the folks around us to create uh, better lives for all of us. And so because we believe in that, we designed this program to celebrate entrepreneurship, but also to share the stories of these local businesses. So, you know, like Corey gave the example of Nix. He didn't had no idea who they were. And then his wife was like, I'm, I know these guys. I'm a huge fan. And that's part of it is to bring awareness to the stories in our own backyard so that we can support uh, Canadian or support local. And as well, I think for entrepreneurs, to be honest, like entrepreneurship, I'd say often is a, is a lon- lonely journey. You're, you're the owner, you're the operator, you've given everything to your business. And uh, it's nice to have camaraderie and find camaraderie with other entrepreneurs and further build out your network. Like I've seen entrepreneurs come into this program. Uh, they come for an event or two and they've left with three new partnerships with other entrepreneurs that are in the program. 
So, Anita, you talked a little bit about the criteria for these people to be nominations or to even work their way up. If I'm an entrepreneur and I run a small business, or maybe I know somebody that I think is exceptional and they run a small business, how would I nominate them? And, and kind of what does that criteria look like to probably even get into the nomination round where is it years in business? Is it you know a percentage of growth year over year, number of employees? How does that kind of all sort of come together? Um, so to get nominated, it's uh, it's easy. It's on our website, and I, I'm sure we can provide in the show notes the the link to to nominate. Our nomination period is, is open. The official launch will be on March the first. That's when you're going to start to see lots of advertisements from us uh, on LinkedIn on. Uh, and uh, and other forms of media. Um, If you know an entrepreneur that uh, you feel is awesome and should be nominated, please do so. Or, you know, can always contact me and I'd love to to walk you through the process. Um, In terms of, you know, the qualifications, we've actually really uh, made it a lot more simple over the last few years. And any any entrepreneur has uh, has the opportunity to be nominated. I, you have to be in business um, for at least three years, and uh, because we're really looking at what's happened over the last three years of growth, and uh, that's what folks are looking to see. Right? Is how, how how has the business grown, and how will it grow in in the years to come? Um, you don't have to be the founder owner to be nominated. You can be. Just the person like the CEO or somebody um, who's really taking charge of the business. Good example of that uh, was uh, Wendy Benison from Saks Underwear, who was a regional winner last year. She is CEO and really helped uh, turn that business into a, a much bigger and uh, much more innovative business. So those are the, the base criteria. I will say, though, because of the, the caliber and competition uh, for this type of program, I, I will say we, while we don't have any sort of like sales target or cutoff, generally folks that are just starting out, you know, would not find a lot of success in the program and may not make it to the finalist round. So I just caveat that it's because, you know, this is uh, this is one of the top tier programs that uh, folks can get recognized for as an entrepreneur. One thing I'd be interested to, to, to hear, maybe maybe you may or may not know this, COVID obviously kind of changed the world in positive and negative ways. When, when you guys are looking at a program like this, how has maybe that changed how you've looked at the program? Obviously, some businesses probably have seen sales drop or some businesses might even be wiped out, but they may have got through it. Like how, have, how has that potentially changed the outlook of the program or how the panel may potentially look at the entrepreneurs coming off of a situation like that, even now too, where we're in obviously a, a little bit of an economic challenge with interest rates and all that stuff around us? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I've actually seen two very distinct ways in which our judges have looked at businesses. I think one, COVID has impacted many businesses in different ways, and some of them in very positive ways, and some of them in in less positive ways and have been posed great challenges. So I will say that when our judges are looking at businesses, for example, like consumer products, um, where COVID had a significant impact, they're looking for things like, you know, how did they come out of that? Were they resilient? And actually, our judges give a lot of points to businesses that were able to reinvent themselves or come out of the business in a very innovative way and uh, be able to hold on through that. And actually, you know, they may not have, they may have seen a dip, but then now they've come out and they're even stronger. So I've seen that multiple times. 
The other piece that I find very interesting is we do have a lot of life sciences and biotech companies in the province. For those companies, what our judges had to battle with and what they continue to battle with today is, is the growth for the company because of COVID? Was it because they were the one vaccine or they were the one piece of technology that was needed to get a vaccine to the market? And can that now be repurposed for other things? So were they just that one hit wonder? Or do they actually have something that that can be commercialized more broadly and that business is going to thrive in years to come? So I've seen that both sides. So one thing too with the program that maybe something that we should touch base on is is Ernst & Young has this tremendous conference that they put on that uh, for those I think come through the program, they get the opportunity to maybe participate in this in this conference, can you maybe talk a little bit about that strategic growth conference that they put on? Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs understanding that there's maybe a potential to participate in this conference or eventually go to this conference that might really pique their interest in the overall EOI program that you guys are putting on. Definitely. So our Entrepreneur of the Year program, I know a lot of folks know us in the city as this one big gala that happens in the fall. But really, I know, Corey, you'll know this from experience now, is that this program is actually full year. And it starts with a nomination period. You get invited to different events to meet other entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the biggest ones, as you mentioned, is the Strategic Growth Forum. So this happens for us down in Palm Springs every single November. And we invite world-class speakers and world-class entertainment to this conference. It's an invite-only CXO conference that UI puts on. We welcome about 2,000 people around Canada, U.S., and globally uh, to the conference. And uh, every year I pick a, a favorite speaker. So I'll tell you my favorite speaker from this year and uh, maybe Corey, you'll share yours. So my favorite speaker from this year was uh, was Holly Fager. From, she's the founder owner of Supergoop, the sunscreen companies for everybody who may not know the, uh, the company. And uh, I think she was just a tremendous entrepreneur with an amazing story where she started out as a school teacher And uh, the reason she founded a sunscreen company was because one of her best friends got diagnosed with skin cancer. And she started to think and say, and she said to herself, you know what, this was totally preventable. So can I get everybody into the habit of wearing sunscreen? Um, But people don't like it because it's like that white, thick stuff that people don't like to put on their skin. So she invented this unseen sunscreen, which is awesome if uh, folks haven't tried it. And But her whole goal was to try and bring it to schools so that uh, children are able to use this and they would uh, never, skin cancer as a disease would never exist anymore in the future. Um, and of course, now today, they're in all the Sephora stores and drugstores uh, all around uh, North America and uh, now getting into the global market. Well, I, I was very fortunate to get an invite to this conference last year. So I had to take advantage of that because I'll probably never get invited again in my life. So I would say the high, the one big takeaway for me was Jay Shetty. And I might've been the only guy in the room who didn't know who Jay Shetty was. And then I put one and one together when I saw him come out on stage that he had written the book, Think Like a Monk. And I talked to a few people in our company about the conference and had mentioned that he's there. And I've never felt like so many people in our company were starstruck that I was in a room with Jay Shetty. And 
just how engaging he was talking about the importance of connection and what the future world will look like with connection from an entrepreneur standpoint and a leadership standpoint. I've been very lucky to attend quite a few conferences over time. And I can definitely say well, leaving that conference there, I, I got more out of that conference than I initially ever thought I would get. And to this day, still talk about the impact of that conference uh, from a business level and just uh, things that you learn and you take away. And I remember one of the speakers that was there, and I have to apologize. I can't remember what his name was. Uh, he was an ex-Navy SEAL leader, and he talks about attributes versus skills and how in the the Navy SEAL program, which I guess, and again, I, I'm probably going to mess this up, like the top 1% of the 1% in the military and how they were like turning away people from the program or people weren't getting past the program. And his comments were something to the effect of, we were telling them like, oh, you're just not good, but you're the top 1% of the 1%. And he shared a story of this, this gentleman, I guess they had, there was a pool there at some point and they asked him to swim the length of the pool and the guy jumps in the pool and he sinks to the bottom and he kind of bobs his way by walking along the bottom to the other side of the pool and back and they get out and they were all kind of really shocked by what he did. And they asked him, he's like, well, I can't swim. But the fact that he would deliver on what he was asked was an attribute that some, most people don't have the skill eventually be teaching him how to swim and just taking away that and listening to the audio book that he recommended after about when you're looking at people from a hiring standpoint and building a company standpoint, how attributes can be such tremendous key points when hiring someone where so many companies will focus on people's skills. So I, I took a lot away from the conference. So I was uh, absolutely pleased to be there nonetheless. Yeah, I, I remember that uh, that particular story too, Corey. So that was uh, Rich uh, Diveny okay. and his book, uh, The Attributes. Yeah. So I uh, actually bought a few people that for Christmas after the uh, the conference. But I will say though, Corey, like I think it was funny that neither of us mentioned the fact that uh, Reese Witherspoon was also there at the conference, <laughs> as well as Tracy yeah. Ellis Ross. <laughs> it's it's funny. It's funny you bring that up because I was actually after I was going to just mention that. So Reese Witherspoon was one of the keynote speakers, if not, I think she was probably the keynote speaker there. And it's so funny too that obviously as you get older, you sort of understand the background of businesses and you picture like this actress in Legally Blonde. And that's how you kind of make this, this biased opinion of her because that's what you've seen her act over the years. And for her to share her story of the company that she had built, why it was built, the book club that she has. And I believe that she had mentioned, and I, I might have this figure wrong, they sold a portion of the business to a Blackstone-backed entity at a value of somewhere around like $900 million. And you go really quickly from thinking of her in Legally Blonde to putting her next to like some of the top CEOs that you've meet or you watch over the years, not realizing just how impactful of a businesswoman that she is and how much she made. And not to mention, she was just an all-around, seemed like a very genuine person. And I remember one of the gentlemen there they had from the Shark Tank, one of the guests on Shark Tank who built the Kind Bar empire and how he shares his story about the private equity group and the backup against the wall. And then he had to buy out the PE and then they ended up selling the company for five X five, like very motivating, inspiring stories. And anyone I think that's that's in any facet of entrepreneurship, including someone who's maybe just an independent realtor or something like that, like the takeaways from a conference and you hear everyone's stories, it almost makes what you go through in a day-to-day -day feel more real because you, we post these people on these pedestals who are, well, I'll just say billionaires for lack of better words, but you don't realize, you mean, failure is a straight line. Success is literally like a roller coaster to get there. 
and how many other people like literally got to the point where they were almost at doomsday, but pulled through just from an entrepreneurial spirit later to go on and sell companies for massive amounts of unfathomable money that without that drive and determination as an entrepreneur might never ever come to fruition. Yeah. So, so well put, uh, Corey, I just, uh, I remember, you know, you said failure is a straight line. And I remember how Reese uh, talked about, you know, she was trying to raise money when she started this production company, wanted to highlight stories, um, that were women centric. And, uh, because, you know, Hollywood said uh, no more than one uh, female focused movie a year. And she's like, no, yeah. we're going to break this. And she yeah. stood in front of all the, the PEs, all the investors and asking for funding and uh, thinking, you know, her name and her brand would hold a little bit of weight. And they were like, absolutely not. Like, no money for you. Who are you? You've never been in business. You don't know what you're doing. Like, we're not investing in you. And yeah. uh, so it, it was uh, it was incredible to hear that. We're all, we all face the same things. Yeah. You know? Well, I think one thing that she just briefly talked about, and to me, this is just like absolutely brilliant when you actually look back on this now, is she has the social media book club. I think it's called Reese's Book Club. And I want to say, and I could I could have this number wrong. I, I think there's like about 30 million followers of this or 32 million followers or some, some just God insane number of people that follow her on social media through this book club and how they'll almost like before they launch the book on the book club, they buy the option to make the movie. So it's kind of like, okay, we have the option to make the movie. We probably paid a fraction for what it is. We're going to put it through our marketing channel here. So 32 million people get excited about it. It's going to go on to be a New York bestseller. And then because we have the option, we're going to come back and deliver this movie and probably sell $300 million in tickets. Like it's just, it's, it's a genius script when you look at it from a business standpoint, just the channels that they've created for themselves that, I mean, when you hear stories like that and you look back on it, you almost hit your head. Like it almost felt like so easy to watch it materialize, but you're like, why didn't I think of that? And now they've turned these into almost a billion dollar business. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. I'm always, uh, you know, this is why I, I do what I do, Corey, right? And Adam, like, this is why I do the program because I get to meet people like Corey who think in different ways and uh, who think far beyond like how I'm thinking. And I learn every single day from folks like this. And I go, wow, you know, it's really tough to, to be an entrepreneur and you go through a lot, but at the end of the day, the impact that you have on those around you in the community is unbelievable. And without you guys, like we won't be able to progress forward. So I have all the admiration and all the respect for uh, entrepreneurs. So Anita, we appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today and, and talk all about this amazing program that EY offers. Before we let you go, we ask all of our guests six lighthearted questions so we get to know you a little bit more out of the office. Do you have a few more minutes for us? Yeah, sounds great. The six pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim Falco, Scott, and the team. These are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca with offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. Number one is what is your favorite vacation spot? My favorite spot has definitely been Spain. Wow, Spain. Yeah. Any, any, yeah I've got actually, uh, our my brother Matt is going to... Uh, get the name Winnipeg? So yeah, Winnipeg. So. Winnipeg. <laughs> Not related at all. I've been there as well. I've been there as well. <laughs> no, <I'm just> 
<laughs> no, he's going to the southern coast of Spain, and I was yeah, it's his first time, so that's oh. a, a good, good recommendation. Yeah, the uh, that Golden Triangle, like he's going to the south, right, of Cordoba, Granada, and Sevilla. That is phenomenal. Like, you know, I thought uh, his there's great things in Europe. I, I've seen so many castles, and then I went to Spain, and I was like, I've seen nothing because everything was very well preserved there. You know, they haven't had like they haven't really seen the impact of like modern warfare um, as much as some of the other European countries. So things there are magnificent. I'm going to have to exit the conversation because I'm like excited for my camping trip to Abbotsford. (laughs) 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 All right. Next question up a book recommendation and you may have already gave it to us a book recommendation that you would encourage all of our listeners to read. Yeah. So my favorite book actually is uh, Tuesdays with Glory by Mitch Albom. So I don't know if you've read that book. book. Yeah. (laughs) That's my favorite. We've never had Tuesdays. That's the first time we've had that one. Um, Favorite band or musician? Favorite band or musician? Oh, that one's really hard. I don't know if I have one. So I don't know. Like you guys will never have experienced this, I don't think. But um, growing up like in an immigrant family, like moving um, to Canada and everything, uh, you know, I'd never been to a concert ever. Like in my entire life, my parents were like, what is this? So I will tell you that uh, people always ask, like, who's your favorite artist, all that. And I'm like, I have no idea. I just like, like music. But, you know, I went to my first concert, though, like when I started working for, for the firm and like five years in. We, uh, we went to a concert with a client. And so my first concert was actually Eric Church. So that's country, super random. Oh. Um, so I don't know if it's a favorite, but I'll, that's my first concert. <laughs> well, I've never seen Eric Church, but some of the best concerts I've ever been to besides Nickelback were country concerts like Tim McGraw and Luke Combs. So I will, I will back you up on the country concerts. <laughs> They're a lot of fun. Uh, next question up. Fortunately, Anita, you've done something horribly wrong. You're sitting here on death row and you're allowed one more meal before it's all said and done. What meal are you having? I would be having some Taiwanese street eats. So I'm originally from Taiwan and street food there, unbeatable. That's a good one too. That's another good one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're at a karaoke bar and someone gives you the mic. What are you singing? I would uh, be begging for forgiveness because I cannot sing to save my life. (laughs) (laughs) So a Nickelback song is what you're saying. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Last last question up. Maybe one piece of advice for the entrepreneur out there that may be considering, hopefully entering into the Entrepreneur of the Year program put on by Ernst & Young. One piece of advice you would give those nominees. Come in, open-minded, ready to experience what we have to offer. Like We've been supporting entrepreneurs now. This is the 30th year for us. So we've got an amazing program. Be open to meeting new people. Throw yourself in just like Corey did with us. And uh, you'll be in for uh, the ride of your life. I will say too that I was very fortunate to be part of the program last year. And sitting in a room at the gala with all these like phenomenal entrepreneurs that have made like impacts both in the business world, but the social environment. I'm just happy for the free dinner. I was so excited just to get the invite so I could get a free dinner out of it. And it was some of the best appies I've ever had at the hotel there. So I was very pleased. <laughs> I mean, well, Corey, hopefully you'll uh, be coming to our nomination launch event on uh, March the 6th, because I'm actually bringing in some Taiwanese street food as our catering. Oh, you don't have to twist my arm. 
<laughs> so Anita, for all those people who potentially may want to find out more about the program or even reach out to you to ask about the program, how can our listeners find out more about you, Ernst & Young, and the Entrepreneur of the Year program? Yeah, for sure. You can find me on LinkedIn and as well on our website. If you search EY Entrepreneur of the Year, it'll link you to all of the folks across the country who uh, support the program. So you can reach out with any questions and you can also submit your nominations there. Excellent. Well, Anita, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and, and to let us all know about the uh, the amazing programs you guys have there at Ernst & Young. Thank you so much, Corey and Adam. Really appreciate this. Thanks, Anita. Take care. Thank you. All right, there you have it, folks. Our interview with Anita Chen, partner at Ernst & Young, and also runs the EY, EOY, Entrepreneur, EOY, Entrepreneur of the Year program for Ernst & Young. Great right. episode. Yeah, and uh, really uh, fantastic program. You got a little passionate talking about Jay Shetty. I thought that was... I'll be uh, honest with you. I, I'd heard of the book before. And going into the conference, I saw the list of speakers and I, I didn't put one and one together, nor did I really realize the impact that he had. Saw him, was blown away and captivated how good he was as a speaker and what he brought forward. And I'm talking to some staff members after the fact or some members in, in our company. And they were like, you saw Jay Shetty? You were in the room with, and I'm thinking like, this guy's a bigger deal than I thought. So obviously you, you guys look are both up. podcasters. So it's yeah. pretty, yeah. Well, I mean, he's, you share a lot of similar. Yeah. Things. Yeah. It's funny you say that too. And even I have these gorgeous blue eyes that he has, um, <laughs> but he was very captivating and a great speaker. And the conference they put on was absolutely tremendous. And uh, yeah, nothing but really good things to say about the program they put forward. I was just happy to get the free dinner out of the day. And Corey, so uh, somebody out there is thinking about their new year's goals here. We're only in the first week, second week of February, I should say. Somebody wants to buy commercial real estate. How can they get in touch? They can reach out to our Vancouver office anytime, 604-428-5255. They can drop me an email, corey at williamwright.ca, or they can visit our website, williamwright.ca, and sign up for the latest and greatest news. Well, have a great week, everyone, and we'll be back next week with another great episode. Thanks for joining, guys. Subscribe today. 